Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. The Restory Show, episode number 19. Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. Now they've got over 180,000 titles to choose from. That's a lot for your iPhone, your Android Kindle, or your MP3 player. Today, I am really excited to welcome Shannon Martin to the Restory Show. She's got an eclectic story and not your typical story. She's adopted four kids, one of which is a 21-year-old. She also, her husband is a chaplain in a local jail, and they have kind of lived the American dream in reverse. She's one of my heroes. She's an amazing writer, and I think you are going to be really blessed by her story today. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited to have Shannon Martin with me today. And she is coming from the Great White North in uh, the northernmost part of Indiana. And uh, you'll probably hear this in the summertime, so she'll not be in the Great White North then. She'll be in the humid north or wherever. Uh, right. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. So um, we're going to just have a good conversation today. And I wanted to start just by welcoming you, Shannon, and thank you for bringing your story I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Now, I just wanted to ask a little bit for the listener's background. Tell us about your life growing up and how you met Christ and your husband and or, you know, however that went and children. And so I grew up in actually near Dayton, Ohio. So still Midwestern girl. And I am the middle child and I'm very stereotypical middle child, but we (laughs) won't go into all of that. Um, I have an older brother, younger sister, and, you know, grew up in one of those pretty ideal Christian family situations. So I kind of feel like I was born a Christian, you know, Mm -hmm, and that's mm -hmm. not true. But it was just, you know, from the, my earliest memories were of attending the church and our, we lived in a teeny, outside of a teeny tiny town. My mom grew up Catholic and my dad grew up German Baptist, which is kind of close to Amish when yeah. they drive cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they got married and started a family and they then came to Christ through a little evangelical brethren church. Mm. And so a lot of my earliest memories are surrounded by, um, you know, kind of infused with those memories of this little church community that was really foundational in my family's life. And so I just had a really uneventful but wonderful childhood, and I'm grateful for that. And so, you know, after high school, I went off to a small liberal arts Christian college here in Indiana. That's how I ended up here at Bethel College. Hey, I've I've spoken there. Have you really? (laughs) Yeah, at a chapel. That's funny. The one in in Indiana. There's a few Bethels. No, 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 it's the little tiny. (gasps) Yeah, I have been there, and I used to I used to spend all my summers in Dayton and Kettering, Ohio. So we might have been like we might have seen each other. This is crazy town. Yes. That's awesome. So yeah, that's where I wonder, do you remember what year you spoke at Bethel? I mean, I don't think it was when I was there. No, it was like two years ago. We should have had coffee. Yeah. Weird. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) We're getting sidetracked already. But so I went to Bethel 
Um, my junior year, I was an RA and Corey came in as a freshman. So he's oh, two years, you know, that was that thing that, yes. of course, the stuff that matters when you're 20 years old, you know, I was just so sure I would never date anybody younger than me. Sure. And so then I married somebody <laughs> younger than me and he's kind of from this area. So yeah, we got married a few years later and early in our marriage, we headed off to Washington, DC. We lived there for just about a year. We thought we'd be there for two years, um, but it ended up being half that time. He was working for a United States congressman. Um, we moved out there. And so he was working on the Hill and I got a job at the Heritage Foundation, which oh, is yeah. a, a yeah. think tank yep. organization. And that's just a whole other funny story. And so we lived there for about a year and then he was transferred back to the district here in Indiana. Um, we moved back home and honestly, DC, like city life was not for us. Mm. But I, but now all these years later, I'm to that place where I think, you know, I'll tell Corey sometimes, wasn't that just the best thing? <laughs> wasn't living in DC so great? And he's like, no, it absolutely <laughs> was not. But I'm really romanticizing it in my mm-hmm. mind at this point. Yeah. And we, once we were back in Indiana, we were ready to start our family and we hadn't been, you know, we at that point had been married for, I don't know how many years. I mean, several years. And the way that I kind of grew up, people started their families pretty quickly, you know, get married. And then within that year, you're starting your family. That was not what we did. And so we were, you know, five or six years in, and finally we were ready to start our family and surprise, surprise, I could not get pregnant. Wow. And it was something that just, you know, that was, that was one of the first things in my adult life that was, you know, my signal, your life is not going to look the way that you thought it was going to look. And, you know, that kind of launched us into what has become a journey of leaning into the unexpected and really through a long process. And we're still somewhere on that journey of understanding that, you know, it's we're going to have to to let go of the control we think we have in order to embrace this life that God has actually made for us. That's going to look different in a lot of ways than what we expected. So all of that to say we have four kids now. They're all adopted. We have a 21-year-old, an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 7-year-old. And they've all, you know, their adoption stories are really different and unique. And they all come from kind of different places and backgrounds. And that's our family. And we are just really tremendously grateful that, you know, what we thought things were going to look like, it, it turned out to be very different. But this is this is for us. And this is the family God God has for us. How did that come about? Like, tell me a little bit about that story. So Robert is our oldest, but he's also the newest Mm -hmm. in our family. And so I I always waffle. He's like your baby. (laughs) He's our baby. It's so funny because when he first, you know, came home a couple of years ago at the tender age of 19, (laughs) one of my best friends sent me a package and it, I opened it up and it said for the new mom, it was like a baby card. And I just burst into tears because she, she understood and she's not an adoptive mom, but she understood on some fundamental level that this is a really big deal. And, yeah. you know, it was really beautiful. I think of that all the time, but he, yeah, he just, we had known Robert since he was about 16 somewhere, you know, my husband's career path has been really interesting too. But after he got out of politics, after about 10 years, he worked for a couple of years at an alternative high school here in the area, and he met Robert at that time, and we we began to really, Corey really connected with Robert, and it was one of those situations, 
where he wasn't ever sure why. Corey is really introverted and Robert is really not introverted. <laughs> and Corey was an administrator, so he didn't have a ton of contact with the students. But there was, you know, he went he went on a work day and met this kid and came home and was saying, I don't know why, but, you know, I'm just really drawn to this kid. And so we started inviting him over for dinner. And Robert had no family to speak of. He was really, he was homeless. He was staying with people and just saw no problem with it and wasn't really troubled by it much. But he had no connections at all. And so my heart was very attached to his early on, but he kind of kept, you know, he came over and it was awkward a lot of times, you know, we, we didn't seem to have a ton in common with this, with this boy on paper, but I just loved him. And, you know, over the years, you know, we would go through times where we were more connected and then he would kind of, he'd get kicked out of school again. We'd lose touch with him. Um, and everything kind of came to, you know, it, to this brand new place when he ended up getting arrested and, at that point, I remember thinking, you know, Corey and I had kind of waited. It, it seemed somewhat inevitable along the way. And so this thing that we had wondered about had finally happened. And all I could think was, you know, I was, I went through the whole, you know, I'm disappointed. I'm sad. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. But then pretty quickly, I came to a place of, but now I know where to find him. Yeah. And he cannot avoid me or ignore <laughs> me. And so we just started showing up at the jail mm. and, and God really used that year, you know, he was in jail for maybe nine months, and then he was sent to prison for six months. And so for over that whole time period, I mean, God, that's when God made us a family. And we even have a really distinct and special day. You know, adoptive moms talk about gotcha days. Yes. There's a very clear gotcha day with Robert. And, you know, of course, as a writer, I wrote about it. And it was just, it was such a gift to have this really defined moment for all of us when we just kind of realized like, oh, you belong to us and we belong to you and we're a family now. And he asked if he could call us mom and dad. And I mean, you know, at that point, he's 19, almost 20 years old. So adoption looks a little bit different for him. But he got out of prison and moved into our home with his ankle bracelet and Mm -hmm. his cigarette behind his ear. And, you know, (laughs) this was, it's just something I never could have known to ask for, you know. Wow. I wish, I wish he could be here beside me and and talk to you. He he would have a lot of things to say and he's pretty funny. So, he's a great man. Kid. I never know what to call him cuz I'm like he doesn't really like me calling him a kid or a kiddo, but he's my kid and but he's also 21 now. He's a yeah, young man. Yeah. Yeah. I have a 23-year-old daughter and she just um she works now full time and she put her business card on my near my monitor and I was like, Oh my gosh, she's like an adult. Right. My baby. <laughs> she got <Right>. old. <laughs> so crazy. I know. Uh, tell me a little bit about your husband's career transformation. Cause that's a different kind of line of work from politics to working in a school to what he's doing right now. Yeah. He, he actually, at Bethel, he graduated with a degree in biblical studies, and his dream was to, he never felt called to into any form of pastoral care. So what he thought he wanted to do was get his doctorate and be a professor of theology. That was his dream. You know, he showed up at college as kind of, I mean, he's just, he's just wonderful, and I won't go into all of the reasons why, but he was also very much you know, he had been in high school, the kid that kind of just skated by on his good looks and his charm and his <laughs> his easygoing personality, never really prioritized academics. And then he got to college and realized, oh, wait, you know, I love reading and I love theology mm. and I love thinking about these things. Um, but, 
you know, there's that pivotal moment, I think, when we get out of college or when we graduate from high school, you know, whenever we launch into adulthood, whatever that might look like. And he happened to sort of fall into this political job. And he was interested in, in politics. But what happened was he kept falling deeper into the tunnel and found that he really couldn't, there was no easy way out. And for a long time, he didn't want a way out. So he worked in that field for about a decade. And then his, so one one interesting piece of the story is that he worked for one congressman for several years, several terms, and he lost reelection. So he ended up working for a, a neighboring district's congressman. That went really well. And he showed up for work one day and saw on Fox News his boss, the congressman, was resigning. And it's like <laughs> Thanks a for TV telling show. Me. Yeah. It was so surreal. And it, it was that moment where you realize this stuff, you know, you hear these things happening on the news. I mean, Corey was a pretty high-level employee, such that you would think he would not have found out about it on the on news. Fox that's News. How he found out. <laughs> yeah. Wow, fun. And we had just brought Silas home, our, our youngest at that time. It was just a really crazy time for us. But we, we saw, after the initial shock, we saw a lot of God's goodness and grace. And, you know, we had known for a while that it was time for us to, to find a way out. But there was a lot holding us back namely comfort and security and, you know, good insurance and a, a good salary and all of those things. It was, a, it was a battle that we had been ignoring for some time. And so God kind of took care of that for us. He worked at the Alternative High School for a few years and really enjoyed that. And then he very suddenly became the full-time chaplain of our county jail. And it was a transition that we were not really looking to make. Um, I remember finding out kind of through the grapevine. At that, so at that point, we had been in and out of the jail as a visitor right? <laughs> um, quite a bit. But when we began visiting Robert and then another friend of his in the jail, that was our first time for both of us that we had ever set foot in a jail ever. And then, you know, a year or so later... I find out there's a position open for the chaplain. The chaplain previous to him had been there for almost 30 years and he was retiring. And I right away thought this, it just made sense to me in a way that did not make sense to Corey. So Corey was like, <laughs> no way. And recommending it to some of his friends, like, you got to check this job out. There's this opening. I'm like, no, Corey, it's for you. So he ended up going in for an interview and they they basically said, you are the person we have been, you know, they were to the end of the process and not exactly sure what they were going to do. They didn't feel like they had found their their person. And then Corey showed up and he's just the most unlikely. I mean, I think it took us all a moment to realize, you know, the Bible is filled with stories of God using unlikely people mm -hmm. that feel unqualified for his purpose. And we all know that. We all know those stories, but you still don't really want it to be you. You don't want to be the one feeling <laughs> I want to do what I'm qualified for. Right. Thank you. <laughs> so you've got this really, you know, this profound introvert that never wanted to do pastoral care that is now pastoring, you know, shepherding 600 inmates at this jail. And it's just, he has found his his sweet spot. I mean, and it's so fun as his wife to see him just really right exactly where he needs to be and right where God placed him. And it's turned a lot of our life upside down in some really good ways. But again, I mean, I'll say this a hundred times on this podcast, but I never, we never would have thought, you know, if we could really be scripting our lives the way we think we can, this is not what we would have scripted and we would have missed out. Mm-hmm. 
That's so good for me to hear. My husband lost his job a couple months ago, and we're in that yeah time of restoring our own lives. And we've got you know by the time this this podcast airs, we may have direction, but um, right now we're in the middle of the. I don't know. And what is God up to? And and sometimes you're right. He has to stir the pot or just kind of pull a job out from underneath you to kind of make you say, okay, what does God want us to do next? You know? And I remember feeling that, that impulse in those kind of in between phases of, well, now we have to go, we've got to go do this. We've got to go drum up a job and we've got to go work this, you know, we got to work it and being so terrified that I, that we were going to somehow do it wrong or miss it. And a good friend of mine, I think of this all the time, but a good friend of mine said, Shannon, you guys love the Lord and he is not going to let you miss it, whatever (laughs) it is. It was the most simple sentence. And I feel like he was looking at me kind of like, you just need to settle down. But it's funny that I needed to be told that, but I did. And I think of it all the time. You know, we, we have this, this innate drive to like go figure it all out, but God's not going to let us miss it. So I guess that's what I pass along to you guys right now, because I remember how tumultuous that time can feel. Yes, we're right in the middle of that. So I did definitely needed to hear that. So now you've got this new crazy life with four kids, and it's not a simple life. Uh, It's not what you would have imagined for yourself, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And yet it's a good life and you're writing about it. And that's how we, you and I met is through writing. I think it was at the Illum conference, wasn't it? You know, you're not going to remember this. I might not. I met you (laughs) Uh years ago. Do you love stories like this? (laughs) Okay. Was I nice? I hope so. (laughs) You were so nice. It was at um, She Speaks. Oh my gosh. That's a huge conference. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's when I was trying to write a novel. And I I went to one of your sessions and I approached you afterwards and said, you know, what do you, what about dialogue? And you were so kind and you grabbed a piece of paper and you wrote, I have the paper somewhere. Oh, Um, I do remember this. I do. Yay. You wrote down the (laughs) the name of a book and an author and you were just very gracious and very kind. And I remember, but I walked away like, I felt so like I had just had this encounter with a famous person. (laughs) She was so nice. (laughs) So yeah, that was a long time ago. And then yes, we did we did I think connect somewhere more recently. But that's so funny. <laughs> For the listeners of Restory, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their services. So today I'm going to suggest that you try Falling Free, and that will be Shannon's book that is due to come in September. So it may not be an audiobook format yet, but I am pre-recommending it because I know that it will be a great listen. You can download that or any other book that you've been wanting to listen to. To do that, go to audibletrial.com forward slash restory. Again, that is audibletrial.com forward slash restory for a free audio book. Yeah. So I guess what I want to ask too is as you're uh, momming, uh, make that a verb today, that's one of the things I'm noticing. A couple of things that I notice in your beautiful words on your blog is this, first of all, kind of this, you're not, nor- you're not normal. And I say that in a positive way. Right. In terms of one of the things that I like to do is since I've been overseas and I've come home, I like to look at evangelical culture with a different eye. And that's why I like reading what you write because I think you're, 
you've been enough shaken out of the box that you're able to look back at it and see it differently. So you've got an interesting view of the church. You're not going to like a hipster church and you're not, you know, you're oh going, my word. <laughs> it's like anti-hipster church. Oh my word. It's so far from hipster. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things I appreciate about you is you've learned that family doesn't have to look like the cookie cutter evangelical American family. And it may be messier than maybe books portray that it to be. And that the Christian life is not seven steps to a better you. And so, and, and forgive me if you wrote the book, Seven Steps to a Better You, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you did. So, no. <laughs> uh, so talk a little bit about, you know, your church community, your family community, and some of the lessons that you've learned that surprised you or shook you out of your complacency. I think that one of the things that God is continually putting on my heart and I, I'm always, I always try to be really careful because I never want to present myself as somebody who does these, you know, lives life in this weird way. And it is weird in a lot of ways, but it's not always what's comfortable for, for me. And I'm not yeah. always good at it. Yeah. So, so what, I, what I see all the time, and, and some days I really see it as beautiful, and some days I see it as so annoying and frustrating, <laughs> is this idea that there's a Mother Teresa quote that says the problem with the world is that we, it, the, I'm butchering the quote, by the way, but the problem with the world is that we draw the circle around family. We draw too small of a circle around Ooh, family. Beautiful. And so I'm always, I'm always trying to embrace this draw wider circle paradigm of family where, you know, family is not, and God made this a bit easier for us because our children are all adopted. So I think you know, we adopted, we started our family through adoption because we wanted, chi we wanted children. And that was, that was the path God had for us. But it wasn't under some noble intention of, you know, trying to save anybody or save the world or, you know, this really global perspective. A lot of that came later. But I think, I think it allowed us to really understand pretty easily family has nothing to do with DNA. It has nothing to do with genetics or, you know, birth stories or all of these things. It has nothing to do with even you know, who you marry or extended family. It's this, it's, it's community and it's bearing each other's burdens together and it's walking through life together. And so we, we've tried to really embrace the idea that there, we are surrounded, especially with Corey now at the jail, we are surrounded by orphans who are adults, but they have no family or no healthy family structure. And so we try to just keep this really, you know, we try to keep our door ajar is the best way I can think to say it. And that, you know, anyone is invited to our table. And Corey and I are both introverted. And I often wrestle with God over why he he seems to have called us to this really inclusive life. But we don't really like to go out and drum up business per se. You know, we're not the ones like throwing all the parties and inviting everybody in. And I wrestle with that sometimes. But, you know, I think I think a lot of that is God's work. And we have to be, we have to keep that door ajar and be ready to to swing it really wide and allow people in. And so, you know, through a lot of our transition, you know, there there have been times that our actual family relationships have been strained a bit. Um, there have been times that we've felt really lonely and really isolated and just really weird. Like our life is just so weird and nobody can relate. And, you know, God uses our loneliness and he uses all of those things to draw us closer to him and closer to this belief that there are other lonely people out there, Shannon. You know, why don't you find some other lonely people and call them family and become the family that they need? And, you know, so it's just this really kind of fluid circle that 
we keep trying to to stretch its limits and I just feel like that's that's where it is. This idea of I think before before all of this stuff sort of hit us, smacked us in the face, we were very intent on our family unit. You know, at that point we had two kids and Silas maybe was on the way, but our whole life revolved around our little unit. And I think of course that's always going to be one of the most precious relationships to us. But I see more and more that we're not sacrificing that in order to invite other people to the table. It's not a it's not a limit on the love that we have to offer each other and the community that we have to offer each other. So this is just, you know, this is the way our family works now. I love that. And I and I think it's it's important that we don't limit ourselves by labels. I'm not an, an introvert, but my husband's an introvert and yet God uses him in great ways. And so I think we have this idea that all people who are like out there on the front lines have to have this certain personality type and, and, uh, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, those tools are important and they're helpful, but it shouldn't limit what God can do and it shouldn't limit who comes to your table. Right. I think it goes back to just that unqualified thing and, you know, feeling like, God could have chosen better or he could have equipped me better. And then I remember <laughs> that is not the point at all. And in fact, I'm I'm completely missing the point. And so he, it sounds a bit cliche and it shouldn't because it's the word of God, but he is, he is the strength in our weakness. And we all have, we all have different weaknesses and he is the strength in all of them. But we can't experience that strength if we're not willing to really own the weakness. Yeah. And be okay with it. And that, and again, I think that's why I love your writing is that you're willing to be vulnerable and willing to say you don't have all the answers and you're willing to say it's hard to parent this child or, you know, <laughs> yeah, I've got several of them. <laughs> that child and that one over there. And that Depends one on the, the day. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. I, I, I didn't really hit on your question about church. So I'll say something about that real quickly. So we moved to this community it's going on four years ago. So it's very much, it's not new anymore. It's very home. We moved to into this, what was called at the time, sort of a declining neighborhood. So just every town has them. They're not, they're, it's not a slum by any means, but it, this is a neighborhood that people just aren't moving into. People are either- They're moving of, out of them. <laughs> they're moving out or they're just resigned to, well, this is, you know, this is it. And everything's crumbling around us. And so we moved in and there happened- to be a church at the end of our street. And so we came in with all of our with all of our previous evangelical baggage, you know, all of our faith baggage and life baggage and you know, there's this little church at the end of the street, it's a little Methodist church, but we weren't Methodist. And so we didn't know, we started looking, you know, thinking about where we might go to church and, you know, thinking of our priority list and, you know, just doing what you do when you're looking for a new church and we had visited one church. It was a kind of a cool coffee church and the kids loved it. And so the next Sunday, it was a Saturday night and we just hadn't planned, which is very sort of typical of us. So it's, you know, probably 1130 on Saturday night and we're thinking, well, tomorrow's Sunday and we have no plan. So Corey said, we should at least, you know, look at that church at the end of the streets right here. I mean, it was kind of like by default, we haven't planned. So we might as well, you know, try it. And so we showed up that next Sunday. And after that first, you know, we walked into this congregation. It's very traditional with pews and hymnals and it's tiny. The average age is somewhere in the 70s, probably creeping up right now into the upper 70s. It's a very elderly congregation, very, you know, terrible sound system, you know, wonky (laughs) everything. 
not many kids. And God just, to me, who having nothing against the Methodist church, I just didn't, I just wasn't Methodist. And so this idea of like, you know, I had ideas that were wrong and ideas that were right. And, and God just very, very quickly said that day, you know, the Holy Spirit is present in this place and this is in your community. And this is going to be exactly what you need. And, and, and beginning to understand too, that maybe, maybe it wasn't fulfilling our wish list, And maybe that was kind of the point that we could begin to show up to a church, not for what it necessarily offered us beyond the word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit, but what we might be able to offer back to the church. And so beginning to kind of see church as a place that's, that's not one directional, you know, we can show up and, and be present and not just show up, you know, waiting to be served. And it's been a trying journey because the church since then, you know, it started off really rosy, like many things do. And we had a really hard year last year, the church split and it didn't have room. (laughs) There was no, no margin for a split. We were already really small and then it got smaller and just a lot of, a lot of things going on that made it really difficult. But every step of the way, God was just saying, you know, you're going to be a stayer you're going to, you've put roots down here. And so those roots don't move easily. And so for now, I mean, you're just there and you got to work this out with me. Wow. And it's such a good message for, I think, you know, this consumer culture that we live in, church has to meet our criteria instead of thinking, how can, how can I be a blessing in the middle of this? Or, you know, when you've, you come to a certain age or maturity, I wouldn't even say age, but a maturity in your faith. Um, you can be mature at 22 years old, but there's a, a place where you kind of have to make that shift of moving from get, 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 get to right. looking around you and thinking, well, that lady looks like she's in pain. I can pray for her instead right. of demanding yeah. that someone ask you about your day and your mind, you know? <laughs> so, and there's so much joy that comes from serving and so much joy, even though it can be tiring. I guess that's my, Next question is, how have you dealt with burnout in your current situation? And have you dealt with, or has that happened? Oh, (laughs) my hunch was that it has happened. It's hap. It it happens. And then it doesn't happen. And then it happens again. And, and it's something that we are, it's lately been a pretty consistent conversation here at our house that we go through really hard seasons. It, It seems like Sometimes, you know, the when it rains, it pours philosophy is true. We get really, we have really intense stuff happening in our home and then it quiets down. And this, you know, it kind of tends to quiet down a little bit. Well, that's not true. Last winter was insane. This winter felt a little bit quieter. And then I worry about that. <laughs> what you does know, that I'm mean? <laughs> like looking for trouble everywhere I go. And I, you know, I could be your new website, lookingfortrouble.com. <laughs> right. That <laughs> tends to be me. I feel like I'm missing something again or, you know, but basically it's just that everybody's snowed in. Yeah. <laughs> Can't make not, trouble. Everybody's like in hibernation. Too cold. <laughs> right. Exactly. But we, you know, the thing that I struggle with, honestly, most recently is that I, I really have battled a little bit of cynicism lately. And, you know, I've had conversations with Corey because he just, he finds a lot of kinship inside the jail and, you know, he's not there so much. They call him pastor Corey and he feels so weird about it still because he's, he very much finds them as friends and it's been a really beautiful thing, but I get, and this is something I've never talked about. You're like drawing this out of me, but I, I get a little bit envious sometimes because he, he gets to see this really redemptive 
piece where these guys are, they're incarcerated. They're at their, they're at their rock bottom, but they're also sober and they're off drugs and they're getting this new clarity on life. They're going to Bible studies and they're leaning into the word of God and they're, you know, they're doing all these really cool things. Corey goes to work and experiences that. I, my experience tends to be, you know, with my friends who are addicted to drugs and cannot get yeah, clean. Yeah. And, you know, they're coming around and then, you know, they're better for a little bit and they're living at our house for a little bit and then they're moving out and then they're back on drugs and then they're on rehab and, you know, then they're moving away or they're falling off the face of the earth. And so I'm, I'm having trouble sometimes not just, you know, I go through times and days and weeks where I just think like, what is this? You know, what is my place here? And how do I remain a person of hope? And so, but I kind of naturally am a hopeful person. So I'm, I'm always kind of swinging between this place of, you know, I'm really cynical, but I'm also really hopeful. And it doesn't make, you know, it doesn't seem to fit together, but they do kind of seem to work together. So I think maybe, you know, as far as the finding rest, I think it's more of an emotional toll that it takes. You know, I, I kind of talk a lot about this idea of contact burns that that we're not the ones burning per se in some of these ways. But when you stand close to people who are on fire, <laughs> you get burned. You get hot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you feel that pain. And so a lot of times I, I just, you know, I write and I write my feelings a lot. I'm not, haven't written as much lately because I've been working on other stuff. But, you know, I had a friend from the PTO of all places who texted me last week and said, you're writing some really intense things on your blog lately. And I'm kind of worried about you. <laughs> Are you okay? And I, you know, I, I talked to a friend last week and said, you know, somebody asked me, I wrote a really kind of downer of a post, a really honest post. And somebody the next day said, Are you still sad today? And I thought, well, of course, I'm still sad. Like, part of me is sad every single day. But that's not the biggest part of me every day, you know, so, so every day I'm feeling sadness because I'm surrounded by sad situations, but I'm also surrounded by a lot of hope. And I think that's, you know, when you, when you're in a situation that you're not essentially leaving the pain or you're not driving away from the pain, this is just where you live. You're going to feel all of that. And I'm, I'm starting to think that that's kind of, you know, that's the good life. And that's, that's the full life and the richness of life that we get to feel. We get to feel the pain and the heartbreak and the tension and the beauty and the, the hope. We get to feel all of that. And, and I think that's, that's, a, that's a full life. That's a good life. And that's the, the life Jesus led on this earth, too. I mean, he had right. the wide range of emotions and he had despair and drops of blood and sadness and betrayal. But also, you know, he was building into people's lives who were going to change the world. And, but most of them didn't. And so, you know, just not everyone on the face of the earth at the time of Jesus followed him. And so, you know, you win some, you lose some, and you have to kind of make do with that. Yeah. And, and all along the way, we're being refined in the process. You know, I mean, God's using this. We realized pretty early on, if not before we even kind of moved over here, that this, we weren't coming here to fix anybody. We were kind of coming here to be fixed. And so, we're in a constant cycle of being fixed. That's good. I like that. And I think that's why God pushes us into new places or new venues, because when we get complacent and things are super easy, we don't have any need to trust. If And for me, like if I could just control my environment all the time, I think sometimes the Lord has to like send us to France or <laughs> help us lose a job or whatever so that we are like stirred up enough to not live 
you know, kind of live the American dream in reverse and think about how you can live a, a, the kingdom dream, which is, it can look like the American dream, but oftentimes it doesn't. There's, there's probably going to be a nuance somewhere, you know, I mean, I think there are people that, you know, we've kind of really backed away from this American dream living. That's just the path God has had us on. But I, but I know, like you said, there are people that by all accounts are kind of living the American dream. But I, I think you dig, you dig a little bit deeper and you see that, you know, God's got something for each of us and he's called us each to do something weird. Yeah. And something that we would not have chosen. <laughs> find for your and, weird. <laughs> and that, yes, find it. That's, that's where the good stuff is. Now you have, I know you've written a book, maybe you've written 10 and I don't know, but uh, <laughs> oh, uh, is it released or is it going to release or what's the... No, it's, it comes out in September. So September 20th, I think is its release date. It's called Falling Free, Rescued from the Life I Always Wanted. Mm, I so you, you can kind of piece that together from everything we've talked about today. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, pre, you can, it's on pre-order right now, but it's not officially out until September. Awesome. How was that process for you writing a book? It was fascinating. It was really fun some days and really terrible some days. Yeah. You know. I do know. Um, I just got off the phone before this with a, I had a conference call with a copy editor and just, there's just all these additions. Like they keep, there keep being new editions of this book and new rounds of edits. And every time you think it's done, it's not. And so this is new to me. This is my first time through the process and I'm amazed by it. But yeah, it's been good. It's a lot like raising children because you go through all these processes and then you get your book on the shelf and there's still a mistake in it. (laughs) Right. That's what she, that's exactly what we just talked about. It's, it just happens and it's so hard to believe. I mean, now I see, you know, I'm a big reader. So, you know, you catch typos in other books and you feel like you're the queen of the world. (laughs) I'm awesome. Right. But then, you know, seeing it from this side, I'm like, it's amazing that that typos still happen when there are so many eyes on these things. But yeah, I'm sure I'll end up with something in mine. <laughs> yes, it have. I think it's happened in every book of mine. And this I, this next one that releases is, I think, number 30 or 31. So it's that just is part of the process. Thing. Oh, my word. <laughs> I know. I, I think about that. And I'm not proud. I'm more like, I think I'm crazy. Like something's wrong with me that I'm putting <laughs> myself through this 30 I think Something you should times. be pretty proud. That's amazing. <laughs> it's funny because they sent me my galley copy mm-hmm, or they sent me a box of them. And I knew, you know, they're, ca- they're using all this terminology. The ARC. Like, you so got an ARC. I knew, your copy. Yeah, yeah, they were calling it a galley. And then if they, I think if they would have said the word ARC, I kind of would have known, but they just kept saying galley. So I open up this box and it looks like the book. I know that's and I was so exciting. Not expecting that. And so my kids got home from school that day and they were so Ruby and Silas, my seven-year-old and nine-year-old were like squealing. And I just, it was super fun because I wasn't expecting that. So it was a fun little moment in my house for sure. Yeah. It's like your pre-baby and yeah. then your baby comes and it's even better. So yes. congratulations on Wait, that. Thank you. So for anyone who is facing a transition, and I think it's really fascinating that the interviews I've been doing lately have all been on transition. And prior to that, the interviews were about people losing their jobs, which was prior to my husband losing his job. So it's just like the Lord's preparing us by your words. So you can give me advice. What kind of advice would you give someone that's in the middle of, you know, doing something different or God may be calling them to something that might be unexpected? What kind of advice would you give? You know, the best, the absolute best piece of advice I can think is to really trust the voice of God or the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because when we started into this whole journey, 
whether it was selling our farm or, you know, taking a job with a 50% pay cut or adopting a felon with (laughs) an ankle bracelet and bringing him into our home. I mean, all every, you know, sending our kids to a failing public school, all these little things, Corey and I felt very, you know, we felt a lot of clarity which was something that honestly, I don't know that I could have said a lot up till this. I never, you know, I always, I knew God was speaking to me, but it was often a a little bit hazier. But with these things, it was, it was clear. Nevertheless, we had people all around us, people who loved us, Christian people who loved the Lord telling us we were hearing wrong. And that was a very defining moment for us in our faith and for us in in our marriage to begin to realize it does not matter. It doesn't matter that nobody gets it. It doesn't matter that people that we respect are telling us, you know, maybe you should keep praying about this because you're missing something or you're getting something wrong. We had to come to the place of it doesn't matter if no, if not a single person in the world understands what we're being called to, we have got to trust that this is, this is the calling God has for us. And and we are choosing, you know, despite maybe battling back a little bit, but we're choosing obedience in this and I mean, that that's the most fundamental thing. If you're hearing from the Lord, especially if it's something really weird, I tend to think now that it, when it's weird, that's when you know you're hearing yeah, it. That's, that's right. <laughs> that's when you know your own self is kind right, of... Right, because you wouldn't have thought of that. Know, <laughs> no, I would not have thought this up on my own. So yeah, just, you know, be, be ready maybe for some pushback, but but understand that, you know, people are coming typically from a place of love and God's not speaking to them about your life. You know, he's speaking to you. So lean into that. Yeah. And so in the in this past, you know, several years, how has God restoried your lives? I think the biggest way that he has restoried my life is in understanding that God's more for me looks like less. And I don't know that that's forever, but I think, you know, for the past 4 or 5 years, every step of the way his more has has looked in, you know, the way the world would see it as less. So you know, less house and less money and less status and um, less understanding and less fewer relationships. I mean, just he's kind of whittling us down. And I think there was a time that I would have seen that as almost punishment or, you know, what are we getting wrong or doing wrong? And, And every step of the way, he's he's looking at us and saying, like, isn't this amazing? Isn't this an amazing gift that I'm giving you? This this less is a gift to you. And it's a gift just for you. And, and that has been, that's kind of just reshaped our whole perspective. And a lot of, a lot of the things that have, have come later, you know, we can look back on that and say, you know, this is, this is a calling right now for us to live a bit smaller and to back down off the ladder and to do things a little backwards. Hmm. I love that. And on that amazing note, (laughs) we'll wrap up today's show, but I'm so grateful because it just, uh, my word for the year, which is weird, is subtraction. And so his more is less. (laughs) Uh, I know, right? Oh, boy. I know. So be praying for us. Hey, you know where to find me if you need us. I guess we're moving to northern Indiana. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Uh, I know. So it's just beautiful how God works things together. So thank you so much for sharing your story, Shannon. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Restory Show. I hope you don't mind if I pray for you. Lord, thank you that sometimes your more is less for us. Less prestige, less house, less stuff. 
and there is beauty in subtraction. There is beauty in thinking about your kingdom. There is beauty in doing things that are not normal. There is beauty in the counterintuitive ways of you. So thank you for Shannon's story, and I pray that all of us would heed the example of that family who deeply loves you and and is trying to make a difference in their corner of Indiana. I pray for my listeners today that we would make a difference in the corner of the world that we occupy, that we would have ears to hear from you. And even if other people say other things, that we would undeniably obey you and listen to your voice and go the way that you have for us, even if there are naysayers, Lord. Give us a vision for the future but help us to be faithful and humble and obedient right now in this moment. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show with links and all the stuff, please go to marydemuth.com forward slash restory19. That's restory19. And may you live a brand new story this week.